Well, we are, uh, we are about to accomplish something that we've been working on all year. Uh, this journey, this awesome journey through uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, so we are uh, finishing that today. This is the 41st, 41st message. Uh, we started the second Sunday of January, and we've been making our way uh, just about every Sunday. We had a few other events that we did. Um, this is the second Gospel that we've done together this way. Uh, two years ago, we've finished the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, then we did some other things in, in the in-between year and in the Gospel of John. Um, where we're kind of headed, I think, uh, for next year, I think we're going to do a large book like this maybe every other year, uh, and so we'll be looking toward that. Uh, next year, we're going to do uh, some other topics and also some smaller books. It'll give us a chance to do a few Old Testament places, uh, so we will uh, we'll still do some study like this together, so probably a month uh, in a particular book and, and then cover some other things I feel like uh, God wants us to be dealing with as well. So, the, so that's kind of where we're headed. So I'm excited uh, about that. So um, the Gospel of John has one overarching purpose that we all might know about and that we might see clearly, and that we might believe and forever be changed by the God-man, Jesus Christ. That we would be so profoundly aware of his unique, one-of-a-kind greatness, his one-with-Godness, his story that was Jesus coming for us. He is Lord he is God. He came to make a way for us. He is so worthy. In two different places near the end, at the end of chapter 20 and the end of chapter 21, John says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Jesus is God. Jesus really came. Jesus is alive and he is the one true God. He is more than you could ever need and more than your eyes can see. When Jesus came to walk with us, he changed everything. That was John's desire to proclaim to us. He brought peace and made us right with, our, with the soul of everyone willing to believe and know him. I can't explain him. John can't really explain him. He's indescribable. If we could explain him, he wouldn't be Jesus. Father to the homeless, shelter for orphans, hiding place for the abused and an anchor for us in our storms. He stormed the gates of hell and won on our behalf. He is the light of the world, bringing dead to life and life to the dead. He loves all people and we love him. The word became flesh and showed us, displayed to us the one true God. It is the power of his spirit in us that enables us and gives us boldness to live for Jesus in our world. Jesus is his name. He is something. 
He is something more. He is something great. He is worthy, so worthy of our faith and our trust, our life. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We believe in you, Jesus. Jesus, he is. He is so worthy. Today, we're, we're just doing a, a, a little bit of a review uh, we're thinking about the amazing good news that the gospel of John has proclaimed to us. Right away in part one, the gospel of John begins to talk about in the beginning. I mean, one of the, one of the striking things about the gospel of John is that there's no genealogy like there is in Luke or Matthew where he... Um, where it talks about Jesus' genealogy there. The reason we don't need a genealogy of God is that John's whole purpose is to show us that Jesus is God. The truth that we can trust throughout the gospel of John, that we come back to it over and over again, that Jesus is God, that he is so worthy, and that we put our faith and trust in him. John uses circumstances, every circumstance he can to show that. He uses miracles. He uses healings. He uses teachings to show that. He uses a cross and a resurrection. He shows us everything that happened in Jesus' life that pointed to the fact that, yes, this man born in human flesh was also God, 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. That's good. That's, that's not very good math, I guess. But that is great theology, and that's who Jesus is. He is God. Uh, we, the truth we can trust is that Jesus is God, and he is so worthy. Part two, after we get through the first chapter, we realize that Jesus, uh, as presented as who he is, that he takes us into the crowds, that we become a part of the crowd of people that, that followed him. Meeting people, touching people's lives, making a difference in their lives. And as Jesus talks about uh, ministering to the crowd, uh, there are three different sevens that we came in touch with. We, uh, one of my hopes was that you would have a better grasp of the gospel of John, that we would learn uh, together the gospel of John as well as our closeness with Jesus. So John gives us seven signs. Uh, he mentions it multiple times he will say the first sign was this and this was the second sign this was the last sign he offers us seven signs water turned into wine chapter 2 1 to 11 the healing of the nobleman or the royal official son chapter 4 46 to 54 healing of the man at the pool of bethesda in chapter 5 1 through 18 the feeding of the 5000 John 6, 1 through 14, walking on water uh, with Peter 6, 15 to 21, healing of the blind man, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41, and number 7, the raising of Lazarus, uh, 11, 1 through uh, 57. And these signs are given as expressions of significance. Like, why, why have a sign if the sign doesn't point to something? Uh, for instance, uh, we, we studied together the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus later called it the lesson of the loaves. And there was something that he was pointing to. And one of the things he points to in that sign was that you can't measure a problem or a challenge in your life according to your own abilities. How many, how many times do we do that? 
How many times do we measure our problem or a challenge in our life according to my own life abilities, my resources, my thinking? As you measure it, that becomes the yardstick and you're thinking, well, this just doesn't measure up. I don't have enough to accomplish here. I've got a big problem here. Even Jesus' disciples we saw did, did that. Jesus purposely put impossible circumstances like a few loaves and fish, and then he said, feed the 5,000, 5,000 plus. God loves impossible circumstances. So if you're in one of those right now, God loves that. He loves impossible circumstances. He loves virgin births. Not only are, are you in a situation right now, but you might be in a situation where you need his impossible. He, he loved uh, the helping the woman at the well that nobody else could reach. Jesus was able to reach to her. What kind of impossible circumstances do you feel like you're facing right now? Maybe you're wondering about it. Why, why does Jesus love the impossible? Because it's the perfect test. You know, tests are given to show us what we know, not what we don't know. Now, I know at school, you don't think that's true. You think they're trying to figure out what you don't know, but actually, the perfect tests are tests that help reveal what we do know. And Jesus uses impossible circumstances to show us what, we, what he can do in our lives. So Jesus puts us in difficult, sometimes impossible circumstances with three specific reasons. He uses the impossible to stretch your undeveloped faith. He uses impossible situations to strengthen you with eternal hope in him. And he uses impossible circumstances to show us his incredible love, faith, hope, love, all of strengthened in us uh, as he works in us. The impossible does not bother God. So sign after sign throughout John, we've seen that he works through those, those amazing circumstances, impossible circumstances, and he says, I'm available, I'm worthy, I'm able to help you in the midst of your most difficult place. There are not only seven signs that we saw, we saw seven I am's, seven I am's. Uh, maybe you could, uh, you could even help me kind of fill in the blank here. Uh, in John 6, 35, he says, I am the blank of life. Anybody know? Bread. I am the bread uh, of life. Uh, in uh, the next verse, 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world, uh, the, the second I am. Uh, he says, uh, I am the light of the world. Jesus uh, helps us to see that he is present. He is involved in our circumstances and he comes into our darkness and he gives light to help us make decisions, to help us live our lives. He is the light of the world. Third I am was, I am the Gate, it's on the screen right there. I know you can see that. Uh, 10 9. I am the gate, the gate of the sheepfold where the sheep would go in and out. The shepherd would literally lay down his life for the sheep. He would lay himself across the gate and protect the sheep. Jesus lays down his life for us. He proclaims that in chapter 10 and then lives it out as he moves to the cross in the last part of the book. He says, I am the good shepherd. He reminds us the things that we learn in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Jesus meets with us in John 10 with the fact that he is our shepherd. It is such a personal uh, relationship with him. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, 
Later, he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's talking to Thomas, and he says, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. How do, we, how do we get there? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's who he wants to be in your life and in my life. These I ams. I am is the, the name that God spoke for himself in the Old Testament when he was speaking to Moses. And Jesus picks up that phrase and says, I am the bread, the light of the world, the gate, the shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last one in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. We are the branches. He is the vine. We are connected to him. A great picture of God's supply to us. Seven signs, seven I am's, and seven people. John the Baptist says, he must increase. I must decrease. Uh, An amazing challenge uh, for us. Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, talks to him about what it means to be born again. In that section, we find John 3, 16, that has such a great message to us. And so God, the greatest father, so loved the greatest love, the world, the greatest need that he gave, the greatest gift, his one and only son, the greatest sacrifice, that whosoever the greatest invitation believes in him, the greatest commitment any of us can make, shall not perish the greatest salvation, but shall have eternal life, the greatest hope. He speaks all of that through, through Nicodemus and reminds us that we must be uh, born again. We see him talk about living water as he meets the Samaritan woman uh, by the well, uh, the woman at the well that he offers her and to us uh, living water. Remember how Jesus reached out to the woman at the well. He, he connected with her, her, where she was in her life, her personality, the way he spoke to her. He appealed to her emotions. He appealed to her heart. He appealed to her mind and to her will. He was wise enough to know that he had to reach beyond just one barrier to get to the place where she would come to accept Christ as Savior. You might have people in your life that they're, maybe they know about Jesus, but their heart is not ready yet. Their conscience or their hearts are hurting. They're not willing to give themselves to Christ. Make sure that you are like Jesus in following and pursuing this woman at the well. Remember how we talked about that, and that became such a challenge uh, to us. Uh, we saw the, uh, the royal official who took Jesus at his word, took Jesus at his word, and even though his son was some 20 miles away, uh, Jesus uh, healed his son, healed his dying son, uh, because this man believed in Jesus and trusted in his word. Uh, In chapter 5, we saw the man at the pool of Bethesda. The man said, uh, do you want, uh, Jesus said, do you want to get well? And he met the man right there where he was. John chapter 9 was the man born blind. I once was blind, but now I see. And then to Lazarus, he says, come forth. So all these are ways, simple ways that you can remember uh, what is taking place, what was important in the gospel of John. How do we think about and reflect on this amazing uh, good news that Christ has uh, for us? So we saw in the beginning... We saw in the crowd, uh, the third major section of John was Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, You you might recall 
that when we got to chapter 12, we talked about this being the last week of Jesus' life. So ever since the summer, we've kind of been in this last week of his life and then up to the cross and the resurrection. So this section was Jesus in the upper room. John 13 to 17, one of my favorite sections of scripture in the Bible where the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus is talking to his disciples and to us about what's important to him. John chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Is, is, is he willing to do that? Is he willing to be servant? Is he worthy? Yes, yes, he is. We learn in John 13, Jesus taught his disciples two powerful lessons that we continue to seek to live out. John 13, Jesus taught uh, to love one another and to serve one another, love one another, serve one another. Uh, two things that he wanted to express to us before he gave his life. Obviously, they tie together. As he washed his disciples' feet, he gave this commandment. He gave an example. He gave a commandment to them. If you really want to be my disciple, you love one another. You serve one another. John chapter 14, what a chapter uh, for us to look at. It was reminding us of what happens when your heart is troubled. Uh, have you have had a troubled heart? Maybe you have one today. I encourage you to, to read John 14. Go back to it time and time again. Jesus starts out saying, don't let your heart be troubled. And he ends up the chapter saying, don't let your heart be troubled. It's the 23rd Psalm of, John, of the New Testament. John says, don't let your heart be troubled. He is our shepherd. It's a manual for our stress management. It's a final will and testament of Jesus Christ. Remember how many times he said, I will do this. So this can happen to you. I will do this. I will help you with this. He says it over and over again in that chapter where he's promising to offer us comfort and help and strength. To, uh, he's the power. John is saying, look at Christ. He is able. He is worthy. He promises uh, to help us. John 15, this great chapter that talked about the vine and the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. And he gives specific commands to us, commands that relate to certain relationships in our life in terms of our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with one another and with, with the world around us. Jesus gives us direction, gives us guidance. So how do we deal in our relationship with Jesus? His command is abide. Abide, rest in him, rest in your relationship with him. Um, Jesus said that we are to abide, to remain, to stay, to stay attached. We are the branches. He's the vine. Stay attached. How much time do you stay attached to the vine to be healthy and alive spiritually? You know, if you cut the branch off of the vine, it will begin to die immediately. So 100% of the time we are called to stay attached as you are in me, I am in you, he says, abide. Abide in me. That's a de dependent relationship in our Christian life with Christ. He's in me and I'm abiding in him. It's not my work. It's not my accomplishment. It's not, a, it's not all that I'm doing. It's a combination of dependence and discipline that come together to help me to abide in him. As far as our relationships with each other and with the people around us, his command once again is to love one another to love one another, abide in Jesus, love one another. And what is our relationship with the world? Believers have a, there's a single word that Jesus tells us. This is how we are to relate to, relate to the world. We are to tell, we are to teach, we are to witness, we are to tell the world about the word of God, to tell the world about Jesus. John 16, 
about the, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us and the joy principle that we were able to learn from that. Joy comes through not through exchange, but through transformation. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, crying may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It was a principle we gave to us. It comes through change and not exchange. That, that means the principle is that I'm not just going to find joy because I get something new in my life. Maybe you would say, well, if, if I had just this different job, or if I had more things, or if I was able to accomplish this, or if I had a different kind of relationship, then I would have joy. You know, that's not joy. That's just thrill for a moment. Joy is deep residing uh, deep within us. Jesus teaches his disciples and us this incredible principle. You might remember the way he describes it. He says that while a woman is in labor, she may not be full of joy, but when that baby comes, she's overflowing with joy. There's a transformation that happens. He's talking to his disciples because they knew, uh, he knew what was going to happen to them. There was going to be this moment on a cross. Was there joy there for them? No. They thought everything was over, but three days later, they experienced the resurrection. And what these disciples, what had been the worst possible moment for them became the best possible time of their life. Jesus turns grief to joy. Praise his name. He didn't say, I'm just going to cover it over. He says, I change it. I turn your grief to joy. Honestly, that's still something we're trying to learn, isn't it? It's just a learn, continuing to learn what it means. I'm not just trying to find things that would replace this and, and offer me some sense of joy. I need Jesus. I need Jesus in my, in my grief, in my sorrow, in my bondage. And he's encouraging them. There's a transformation that happens, a change of heart as the spirit comes into our hearts through Christ. That leads to really a pinnacle moment in the gospel of John. Jesus is in prayer. He prays to the Father for us in John 17. Jesus prays about three things there. He prayed about uh, that he would be glorified. He's talking about going to the cross, that the cross, he would be glorified. He prays for his disciples, that they would be protected, that they would be sanctified uh, in him. He prays for us. He prays for the church. He prays for all those over these nearly 2,000 years that would put our faith and our belief in him. He's praying for you. Uh, I can never forget that Sunday as we talked about how Jesus prays for us and continues to pray uh, for all of us as he desires to unite us together. Uh, are, are you allowing yourself to uh, allow Christ to be glorified in your life, to know that uh, you are sanctified in him and to uh, let Jesus pray for you in your struggles? In the upper room, he spoke all these things to him. Chapter 18, we turn to the last night, the last night of Jesus' life into the next day. In the darkness, Jesus' arrest, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial. We talked together about all the things that happened over this night and into the next day. One of the most important days in the history of humanity, Jesus dies on the cross. 
He gave us over and over these pictures, pictures of the flogging and taunting. We saw pictures before Pilate and the crowd, Jesus before Pilate alone, Jesus at Gabbatha, which was the stone pavement where uh, the announcement came of his crucifixion. Picture number five was Jesus carrying his cross and then Jesus crucified and the sign that was above his head and the casting of lots by the, the soldiers. Picture number nine, Mary at the foot of the cross. Picture 10, the drinking of the sour wine. Picture 11, Jesus dying. And finally, the picture of the spear uh, in his side. Uh, he used these pictures to remind us that what happened that night is a real picture of what happens to you and me. Picture God's power in your life, the power to help you over circumstances of sin and temptation. Uh, picture the power of God to help you to be a person of faith, uh, of incredible faith. Uh, picture the change of what is happening in your life to turn you into this strong person of belief. Wouldn't it have been a tragedy? Had Jesus showed us all these things and we see these pictures of forgiveness and pureness that he offers to all of us, but ultimately the answer is that it wasn't a tragedy, it was a resurrection. We celebrated Resurrection Day on October 27. It was awesome, but it's really resurrection every day, certainly every Sunday. He comes and he's resurrected and he says some things in these appearances, uh, John, once again, is he worthy? Is he? Yes, yes, he is. He says to Mary Magdalene, tell my disciples, go and tell them uh, that I have been resurrected from the dead. He said to Thomas, touch my hands and my side. And then to Peter, feed my sheep. As he asked him, do you love me? John says, I've written these things that you might believe. Could I ask you, has the gospel of John raised the level of your belief? Have we just gone through and learned some things about uh, what the Bible has to say, or have we personally been transformed that our belief, that's his purpose, that's my purpose uh, for preaching this gospel, to come to a place of trust in God because of what we've learned, trusting in him, 100% relying on God. We trust like the, uh, uh, maybe you heard about the guy that, uh, that didn't want to fly, because he didn't like airplanes. And so one of his friends talked him into it, basically kind of forced him to get on the plane. So he was on this flight and everything went great. He got off the plane and his friend said, uh, uh, how, how did it go? He said, well, it, it went okay, except I never really put my full weight down on the seat. So I'm sure that's why it all worked out. John is talking about looking at your life and putting your whole weight down on Jesus, trusting him completely. If you and I deepen our understanding of the gospel, of the gospel of John, without increasing our belief in him, all these signs went to waste. 
If you and I understand more about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what happened at the cross and at the, at the tomb, the empty tomb, without it affecting how I live out my life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if living it out every day, if I filled in all the, the outlines, all this, and you got them stuck away in a notebook somewhere and just kind of, but if it doesn't fill your life, if it doesn't transform uh, who you are, it wasn't, wasn't a waste of time have you trusted christ at even greater and greater levels uh, for you i would say i have this is a somebody said pastor you got to be sad no 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 the first thing i got was you're gonna be happy right that you're finally done with this uh, you know it's a it's just such a moment to walk through the word of god like this and to realize what god wants and desires for us that's why the gospel was written. The gospel was written not just to help us know more. The gospel was written all those years ago. God inspired John. He wrote this gospel in its own way. It's totally unique in all of scripture. And he wrote this gospel so that you would believe in him when it comes to your circumstances, when it comes to your needs. We prayed together throughout this series we prayed together that God would answer our prayers, that he would deepen us, that he would work in us in personal ways, that he would build up our faith as we studied miracles and the works of Jesus, that our faith would be more powerful in trusting in him, that we would be bolder in our, in our openness to him and in our openness to tell the world around us. A prayer that looking at the words of Jesus, that our faith would be practical, that we would learn how to do it, that we would walk through the process of what it means to grow through our trials and our problems. The prayer that focusing on the cross and the resurrection would make us more more passionate about our relationship with Christ. That's the gospel of John. That's what he desired for us. Trust that becomes a part of our relationship and our walk with him. C.S. Lewis said, you never know how much you believe a thing until the truth or the falsehood becomes a matter of life or death. You're going to face some life and death situations it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but it's another thing when it's a matter of life or death. So I'm asking you, put your weight down on the chair. Sit fully in your trust in him. It is a matter of life and death. I'm trusting in him. Will you trust him? Are you going to trust that your old habits, your old ways, even your old relationships I'm not putting my weight down on those. I'm putting my trust in Christ. I recommend that you trust Jesus to the hilt, that you trust him with everything that you have within him. That's really the only response to studying the gospel of John, everything to Jesus. Don't be satisfied with a lesser faith that kind of just swims around and maybe is strong or maybe weaker. Faith that doesn't hang around the shallow end, but a strong faith in him, allowing him to continue to teach you what it means to put your faith and trust completely in him. I heard a story about this bicycle. At first, he says, God was in my life, but I was kind of just observing him. You know, he was like my judge, 
keeping track of the things I did wrong so I know whether I get to go to heaven or hell when I die. He was sort of like the president. I didn't really know him, but I recognized his picture when I saw him, but I didn't know him fully. But later on, when I met Christ and I began to grow in him, it seemed like my walk with him was like a bike ride, like one of them tandem bikes. I noticed that Christ was in the back and I was guiding and he was helping me pedal. Boy, it was nice. I don't know when it was though, but he suggested that we change places and my life has never been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but it was predictable. I always picked the shortest distance between two points. Oh my, when he took the lead, he knew delightful little shortcuts and long cuts up the mountain, and he went through rocky places at breakneck speed. It was all I could do to hang on. And even though it sometimes it seemed like madness, he'd just say, pedal! I worried, and I was anxious. It's, I said, where are you taking me? He kind of chuckled, but didn't answer. I started to learn to trust him. I forgot my boring life, and I realized I was on this adventure. Sometimes I'd say, I'm scared. He just leaned back and touched my hand. I did not trust him for, at first fully to control my life. I thought he was going to wreck me. But you know, he knows all the bike secrets. He knows how to make it around bends that take sharp corners. He knows how to jump over the rocks. He knows how to fly to shorten every scary passage. So I'm learning to shut up and pedal. I'm beginning to enjoy the view, the cool breeze on my face, and my constant companion, Jesus Christ. When I'm sure that I can't do it anymore, he just says, pedal. And trust me, I think John would like that. How, why can you trust him? Why can you put your faith in him? This whole gospel, he, he never wants you just to be satisfied with yourself. He wants you to trust in the journey that Christ has for you. He wants you to believe in him because he is worthy of it. All throughout this gospel, it is just proclaimed powerfully that he is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your life. He is worthy of you surrendering to him. Would you let him develop that kind of life in you more than anything else? Don't you want to trust him? Don't you want to trust your life to Jesus Christ? We, we are human, but Jesus Christ comes to us as the God-man. He relates to everything that you struggle with, that you're tempted with. He is worthy to help us. He responds to us, and he wants you to trust him today. So today, the way we're going to end this series is, uh, is a song. Uh, the song says, is he worthy? And the answer is, he is. So as we sing this song together, this was a song that uh, the 9 o'clock praise man did in their night of worship uh, for us. I haven't been able to get over it. And I've been thinking that John would really like this song. Do we see the world as it is? 
Yes, we do. Do we have problems and difficulties all around us? Yes, we do. But is he able to help us? Is he able to walk with us? Is he able to change our lives? Is he worthy of your belief? Worthy of your trust? Is he worthy? Yes, he is. Let's stand together.
we today, Lord, just kind of gather it all together and thank you for the reminder to believe in you. You're so worthy. We seek to have exalted your name. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we put our trust and our belief in you. We thank you today, and we pray that we would be stronger, better believers in Christ because of the gospel, the amazing good news of the gospel of John. We thank you together. You are so worthy. In Jesus' name, everybody say it together. God bless you. Have a good day. Amen. Thank you.